Before the days of internet and in YouTube, you we was after ruin Bobby Heenan and Rick Rude. And Jake would be the break the way he's playing with snakes. Enthusiast of highest taste was always trading some tapes. Dusty said it cold to let me know about hard times. And Randy be the cream and he was reaching for new highs. Flair was always going and Andre was so imposing. Doesn't matter if nobody can seem to beat Hulk Hogan. Turnbuckles and territories. We be stuck to screens in 1980s. And we can't feed them and made them believe. By the turnbuckles and territories. Turnbuckles and territories. Welcome back to Turnbuckles and Territories, the Gen X era podcast all about professional wrestling. With me as always today is Barry. Absolutely, my friend. I'm excited about this one. And you know that Captain Kiwi is in the house. I got my $49.99 a month. Oh, Lord. In the early days of pro wrestling, if you couldn't head down to the local sportatorium, you could always catch up with the storylines and events on your free local TV station. In 1983, that all changed when a cunning promoter took advantage of an emerging technology and put together the first wrestling pay-per-view event. Join us today as we relive the glory days of the origins of professional wrestling pay-per-view. Guys, I think it's important to recognize when we're talking about pay-per-views, these were not like your standard everyday going to see this every Saturday afternoon things. These were events. Yes. That's what made them so special. These were the things it was kind of, you hear them compared a lot to like the Super Bowl because it was a one time, one day event. And if you missed it, then you missed it. Well, and it also, because it was something that you paid to do, as opposed to like, if you went to a wrestling show locally, you paid to go do that, right? Right, right. But that was only in your town. So only people in your town, in your immediate vicinity would get excited about that. If you watched it on your local TV station or cable later on that came into play, anybody could watch that for free. And if you had a VCR back in the day, you could record it and watch it whenever you felt like there wasn't the same kind of have to do this right now. But when you talk about the pay-per-view event, I think it lended itself to more of a, oh my God, I don't want to be the person who wasn't there watching it when it happened. Right. Well, and the other thing is this was really pushed to be an event, like I said. So it wasn't something that most people would not get a pay-per-view and sit on their couch by themselves. This is something you got your buddies, you got your family, you got everybody in. You know, it was it was an event. It was a day. You were planning for it. And then when it happened, everybody was glued on it, mainly because you just shelled out a lot of money. It probably would have been a little sad had you been sitting on the couch by yourself <laughs> watching a wrestling pay-per-view event. Not that I did that, which I absolutely did, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you'd, you'd have your friends come over, beer, soda, chips, pizza, steaks on the grill, you know, burgers, whatever. I wish I had any party. of those things back then. Aaron, can I be invited to your house at the next right? pay-per-view? <laughs> That's Absolutely. Say, That's your plan, brother. I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> All are welcome. All are welcome. <laughs> but yeah, including it, you, fourth, li- fourth listener. <laughs> yeah, the pay per views were special, and yes. as they built on each other, and matches started getting bigger, and prices started getting higher, and organizations started doing more and more centered around their pay per view schedule, it just reached new heights in the professional wrestling world. And there's even a little bit of me that feels like pay per views might have also been part of what killed the territory system. And I'll, I'll get into why when we get into a couple of these sections later on, but it, it, I think the territory system's death might have been a byproduct of professional wrestling pay-per-views. And, you you know, I know it's a little far-reaching, but I relate everything back to territory wrestling because that's what this podcast is. So. Right. <laughs> 
I'm interested to see your point of view on this one. Yeah. This, yeah. This, I, I, I could see your logic in one direction, but I want to hear what you got to say about it. Well, you know, I mean, people who know me from Gen X Grown Up know I can debate and argue just about any damn thing. So I'll figure a way <laughs> through the logic <laughs> as we get to it. But we kind of need to start, as we do with most of these podcasts, and we need to start about the beginning of what pay-per-views really are. We'll do that right when we come back. The challenge. Rowdy Roddy Piper offers Mr. T a chance to back out of the war to settle the score. But there's no stand down. The fight is on. Training is grueling. Attitude's tough. The eye of the tiger. Get hungry, man. Get hungry. Join the dream team as they prepare for WrestleMania's biggest fight. Saturday at 8.40 on Sky. So what is a pay-per-view? Well, a pay-per-view is exactly what its name says. It's you viewing an individual piece of entertainment and paying for that piece of entertainment every time you wanted to view it. Nowadays, people probably don't have any concept of that as we did back then. It didn't mean the same thing, I think, or it doesn't now mean the same thing it did back then because rewatchability was solely at the discretion of the promoter and the pay-per-view provider. Absolutely. And and I think that's an important thing to mention. Most of the times when these pay-per-view events went on, there was no rewatchability. It was Mm. a one-time only event. And if you didn't see it, you didn't see it. And nowadays, as the platforms and the distribution have become more complex and the technology has grown to where it is now, I I miss that UFC event on Sunday. I'll just watch it whenever I damn well feel like it on demand. Right. right? I mean, so I don't think they hold the same place that they used to, unless it's that feeling of, I want to watch it right when it happens so it doesn't get spoiled on me later, maybe, but that's not the same thing. Well, and the thing that I found so fascinating when I was doing my homework on this, I a lot of people think that pay-per-views are a relatively new invention. You know, probably late 70s, early 80s is when they kind of got their foothold. Actually, the first pay-per-view, by a technical standpoint, was back in 1960. Oh, wow, 1960. I okay. was surprised to find that it went back that far. It was a a boxing match between Floyd Patterson and Ingmar Johansson. There's a nice Swedish name for you. Okay. And they did, uh, it was through something called teleprompter. And the whole thing was you had to mail $2 to teleprompter to subscribe, to watch this fight. And they ended up getting like 25,000 people doing it. Wait, wait, wait. Two dollars to watch a pay-per-view event? Yeah, well, it's nineteen sixty. You got to remember that. Yeah, that's like five thousand dollars in today's money. <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching or trying to watch pay-per-view events in the nineties. Twenty-five dollars, and now they're like sixty. Twenty-four ninety-nine was a very popular price point. Fourteen ninety-nine, forty-nine was like I think more in the nineties. That was, I, I remember WrestleMania. Late 90s. Yeah, it was $49.99. And I remember my dad complaining about it. He paid it, <laughs> but he still complained about it. There also became ways, like you mentioned, Barry, you know, invite everybody over, have beer mm-hmm. and pizza and barbecue and wings and whatnot. And so people would get creative with that. Like, okay, we're going to have a pay-per-view party, $10 to come. Well, a lot I of had places- friends doing that all the time. And it was just yeah. to defer the cost 
of right. the pay-per-view itself. A lot of times you'd see them hosted by like places like a theater or a bar or someplace Hooters. like that. Say, you know, come by and watch the <laughs> UFC fight. We're running a drink special during it or something. And that's how they recouped a lot of the costs on those. Oh, yeah. I used to watch it with my friends over at uh, Hooters. We'd watch mm-hmm. the uh, WWE events. Hooters was a events. big one for buying those, yeah. And not just like the UFC. They also got into the WWE as well. I remember vividly going and watching some pay-per-views over there. I got to a point where when I was way more into the UFC than I am right now, I was literally going to a bar or a Hooters or wherever every time there was a UFC event because I could go there, order some food, which made the restaurant place happy, watch the whole thing, which made me happy, and not feel like I was getting ripped off because I got more for my money than just the event. I got camaraderie of people around me that were cheering and yelling and screaming at the place. I got food that was served to me and it was very good. And I enjoyed that. Clean up. (laughs) I didn't have to clean up afterwards. (laughs) I think it's important to go back to the roots that you were talking about there, Barry. The first one being a boxing event, 1960, really pay-per-view for the longest time was mostly reserved for boxing events. Thrilla in Manila, 1975. I mean, Ali and Frazier. Frazier. You know, that's <laughs> what they do. Half a million pay-per-view buys on HBO, which I always wondered how that worked. HBO was already a pay service. Now, would that pay extra? Yes, that's exactly what it was. Mm. You paid for the service on this, but because this was an event, you had number one, you had to be a subscriber to HBO in order to even get it. And then number two, you're paying an additional fee just to watch that one specific event. And really, this is where HBO made their bones. They started off with a lot of this because honestly, in 75, they didn't have a lot of programming. So when they did this, this is how they were really able to kind of segue into that market. And that's also one of the reasons why HBO... HBO has been such a huge sponsor of boxing for so many years, oh, yeah. even to oh, this yeah. day. You know, they got their foothold with Ali Frazier. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, and HBO is not the only organization to be big into pay-per-views. One of the first pay-per-view systems on cable, the optical systems, first in 1972 in San Diego. Yep. So a few years before the HBO Frazier Ali fight. But a lot of those systems and a lot of those companies that got formed really quickly in the early heydays of the technology Also, you know, they went out of business really quickly, too, because some of the land-based technology had to give way to satellite technology. Right. And and kind of tying into our whole idea of the territories with wrestling, in a lot of ways, the, the cable companies were very similar. You mm-hmm. had localized cable companies that kind of had their own rules and their own way of running things. And, and that's who you paid. I know in, in my particular area, we had Viacom, you know, and that was, if you ordered a pay-per-view, that's who you were ordering it through. So as that changed over and you saw a lot of these smaller cable companies getting bought out by bigger ones, ones kind of the same thing that happened with the territory system in wrestling. You know, you saw that kind of going away with those individualized technologies and everything kind of going to a standard. Yeah. Oh, I remember in Hawaii, Oceanic Cable. There you go. Oceanic (laughs) Cable. (laughs) I I think it's also really fun to think about back in the day. Pay-per-views now, you get them anywhere. You Mm -hmm. get them on your phone. You can get them on your tablet, your PC, your cable box. If you still have a cable box, I've cord cut a long time ago, but I know a lot of people (laughs) still still do your satellite dish network or direct TV provider. You get pay-per-views anywhere, but back then you're right, Barry. It really depended upon a very limited amount of options that were regionally landlocked and based in like competition practices of local municipalities and all these different factors of contracts. And I remember specifically worrying whether or not a specific 
wrestling pay-per-view event would be shown on my Comcast cable station here in Tallahassee because it might not be. Absolutely. I, I have very strong memories of having to go to my aunt and uncle's house to watch a pay-per-view because while they lived 40 miles down the road from me, our local cable company didn't carry those pay-per-views. Mm. So in order to see them, you had to travel to a place that was actually carrying it. Like your aunt and uncle wow. who provided beer and pizza to Aaron, yes. apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Collision course. More than the world heavyweight title hangs in the balance. As Sting leaps into the ring, facing a masked menace from his past. Can he unmask? Can he conquer the Black Scorpion? Plus, the first ever tag team championship of the universe. An explosive invasion of top tag teams from around the cosmos. The battle continues as Lex Luger and Stan Hansen go head to head for the U.S. heavyweight title. Plus, Doom, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and more. Don't miss an explosive night that'll rock the universe. Starcade Night Collision Course. A live pay-per-view spectacular Sunday. December 16th. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all. Nope. Wrong. Wrong paper. Wrong intro again. <laughs> I keep wanting to go back to that intro. <laughs> But truthfully, that's kind of how pay-per-views kind of felt, though, when you were talking about, you know, they felt like the three ring circuses of old. And oh, yeah. the very first wrestling one wasn't really a pay-per-view, but it's kind of considered to be the first pay-per-view. It was more on a system called closed circuit television. And for those who are unfamiliar, closed circuit television is literally like physical connections of these different cable systems and you could only view the event at certain locations that were authorized to view it. Now, I think with this first one, you could view it in your home, but your home had to be on that physical backbone. Yeah. In order to get the event. And that very first one was something that's near and dear to my heart. NWA (laughs) Starcade 1983. Oh, I have memories of this. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite matches of all time was in this. (laughs) Well, I mean, a lot of people's favorite matches of all times. This was titled, it had a subtitle that was really interesting called a flare for the gold and flare was F L A I R. Mm-hmm. And it was obviously in respect of Ric Flair, who was going to be wrestling Harley race at the time in a steel cage match for the world heavyweight championship. They had had a feud going on. Harley race had taken the title away from Ric Flair after his first win off of, was it Harley or Wahoo McDaniel? I can't remember. I think it was Wahoo. If I'm not mistaken. I honestly, I don't remember anymore, but Ric Flair yeah. was champion. He lost it to race race was champion, they were going to have this classic rematch at this first Starcade in 1983. And I know there were a lot of other matches on the card as wrestling mm-hmm. does. You know, you have usually anywhere from like eight to 10 matches usually on a pay-per-view card, but I only remember the Ric Flair <laughs> race match. I don't remember anything <laughs> oh, else from the card. Oh, you are missing out then, my friend. Aaron, I know we tease you a lot about kind of coming to the coming to the party a little late when it comes to wrestling, but I'm going to give you a little homework. If you want to see an epic battle that happened in Starcade 83, I give you the dog collar match between Greg the Hammer Valentine and Rowdy Roddy Piper. Dog collar oh, wow. match that was brutal. Sounds like something that would be an attitude era thing. Oh, I didn't remember that those two guys were in the NWA at that time. You're right, Aaron. I would associate them more with WWF. No, no, no. That was 83. They didn't come in until later on on this, but wow. I, I went back and watched that match 
For those of you that watch AEW, a few months back, there was a whole big shtick between Max MJF and CM Punk. And he had made mention about this match when he pulls out a dog collar, looks in the screen and says, will you be my Valentine? I was like, <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, I remember this. <laughs> well, and that just goes to show you how on a pay-per-view card, the main event match is the one that everybody buys the card for. But one of the other matches can be the standout and even overshadow whatever the main event was. We talked about that quite a bit in our favorite WrestleMania matches when I talked about, you know, mine being Steamboat and Savage. That wasn't the main event of that WrestleMania, but by far and large, everybody considers it to be one of the best WrestleMania matches ever. Hands down. I mean, and and that's part of the beauty of the concept of a pay-per-view. Usually pay-per-views were much longer than the standard show. Sure. So you got to Mm -hmm. see a lot more matches that you may never have seen on whatever their weekly show was. And even when TV shows started getting long in the Monday Night War era, two Mm -hmm. and three hours long, they still didn't put on as many matches on those shows as a pay-per-view would. A pay-per-view, like I said, eight to 10 shows, one of those two or three hours times, like usually you might get like two or three, usually two matches per hour because most of the rest of it was segments and vignettes and things like that. And a lot of them use jobbers on that too, where you didn't really see a lot of jobber usage in a pay-per-view. And that's just because it costs so much damn money. That's a really good point. So at this point in professional wrestling history, whenever you would go to a house show or you would see a TV show, it was always a big name person versus what we call a jobber. Now, for those who are uninitiated, a jobber is somebody who's there just to make the other person look good by losing to them. Yeah, whether the star be a bad guy or good guy didn't matter. The jobber, their whole job was Mm -hmm. to make the other person look good to the viewing audience for whatever the storyline was going to be. The pay-per-view events that started in 83 with Starcade were where the storylines would get brought to closure usually. Or started. Or sometimes started. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. I mean, that's good. That's that's really, that was kind of a, for lack of a better word, it was the bookends. Mm -hmm. It's, it either stopped something or started something that was going to carry over until the next pay-per-view. Yep. And we're talking about NWA WCW in this segment. They had their fair share of awesome pay-per-views. So you're talking about shows like the Great American Bash, Starcade, we already mentioned, Halloween Havoc. I mean, even when they get into the 90s and they had their faction group started, NWO had their own pay-per-view called Sold Out with (laughs) S-O-U-L-E-D. I mean, well, and let's not forget Bash, Bash at the Beach. My Bash favorite. Bash at the Beach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Bash at the Beach obviously is one that was mostly centered here in Florida when yeah. they were expanding their their territory quite a bit. And I used to love pay-per-views not only had wonderful matches, but as they started to have more of them, like I'm talking about right now, they would have themes. Mm-hmm. Bash at the Beach is a classic example, Barry, that you brought up. They oftentimes would have those wrestling events outside yes. instead of an indoor right, arena right. and at a beach. <laughs> <laughs> or surrounded by a pool or something. I've seen or those where they, by get, pool. Where they yeah. get thrown in the water. You know, it's great. Halloween Havoc was notorious for that. Mm-hmm. That I have never seen so many bad, you know, Halloween 
costumes, Halloween oh, designs, yeah. gimmicks that were played at. It's <laughs> awesome. Great American Bash was always a Fourth of July right, pay per view. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I forgot about that. Yeah, you know, that's 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 you always got to see Lex Luger in the the red, white, and blues. Oh. Yeah, well, and oddly enough, you know, he got the red, white, and blues in WWF, but brought him back to WCW. Yeah, I so remember it's, those. it's crazy how these themes and these matches would tie together. But every time they would happen, I would shell out money for them, oh, or yeah. get my parents to shell out money, every or get time. your buddies to chip in. You know? Yeah, it was you know it was crazy. In 1991, WCW would kind of take over the NWA stuff and they would run a lot of these pay-per-views that we're talking about right now. They would also have some other ones like Slamboree. We mentioned Bash of the Beach, Fall Brawl. Oh, oh yeah. That was a great oh, yeah. one, you know, right before Halloween Havoc. They would do all these fun and there was usually also a a specific type of match that would headline the show in that era in the 80s and early 90s. So Great American Bash started in like 85, I think, with the first War Games match. Yeah. And so that became the standard main event for that pay-per-view for quite a while. Um, I know Fall Brawl, a lot of times I think they had a Royal Rumble well, type of uh, match. Yeah, they would have like a, a Battle Royal type match. That's and, right. And Battle Royal. Know, was, I keep saying Royal Rumble because that's synonymous yeah, exactly. with that type of match these days. And and some people love those. Some people can't stand them. I personally love them because you get to see everything going on at once. Mm-hmm. But I think there's one important thing we want to remember on this. Once they started these, these became yearly events. So they were scheduled throughout the entire year for them to be able to do these things. Right. Like each one had its place on the year's calendar. Right. Now, now Barry, you said Battle Royal. How many people would they have in the ring for their battle royals. It really depended on the pay-per-view. Usually, if I'm not mistaken, it was around 20 mm-hmm. was when they would start off on that. And WCW always did something interesting with their battle royals where other you know promotions didn't. They started off when everybody got in the ring. Nobody got an intro. Nobody got any of this kind of That's promotion true. stuff. It's like everybody just, you know, here's the match. Here's the bell. Go kill each other. So, <laughs> Which always blew my mind because you got 10, 20, 25 guys in the ring Big at names. once that, that are supposed to, in store line form hate each other and nobody was attacking anybody before that bell hit now <laughs> bullshit uh-uh. you could sneak punch a couple of guys if you really wanted to that yeah, was crazy but yeah. they were fun they these pay-per-view events were what they were like a payoff all the time yeah. i spent watching the tv shows during the week or reading the magazines or even when shows would come to my local town going, the pay-per-view was the payoff for all that homework I did. Yes. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. I didn't think about it that way, but yeah, yeah. It, it's it, like I said, it's the bookend. It, it, it's the payoff. It's the, yep. you, you've watched these weekly for the last month. Now let's see what's going to happen. Well, what's going to happen is WCW is going to go up in bankruptcy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The final event unfortunately, in WCW's legacy of pay-per-views was fittingly a bash at the beach in Panama City Beach, just a couple hours away from where I lived. And the final headlining match was Iron Man kind of a match between Ric Flair and... God. Oh, wow. If you're going to go out, go out swinging. I mean, (laughs) yeah. And this is one of those ones where you had the two guys hugging in the ring at the end of the match. It was kind of a curtain call moment, Madison Square Garden, the click kind of a thing where they're like, to hell with kayfabe. We're just going to show appreciation and love for each other. This was also the one where Vince McMahon, I bought WCW. And then his son comes up and says, yeah, the contract says McMahon, but it's my name on the contract. And that started a whole new... (laughs) 
WWF crazy ass storyline that also kind of involved the group that we're going to talk about next in the pay-per-view world of the territory era. And that's ECW. Saturday, May 19th, Turner Home Entertainment strikes a blow for justice. Capital Combat Fighting, the return of Robocop. The Honorable Ric Flair holds court in the ring when he defends his world heavyweight title against the mighty power of the total package, Lex Luger. The Steiners steal their own brand of law and order when they defend their world tag title against Doom. Norman and the Road Warriors take on tough guys at a six-man tag team rumble. A night of fight and battle. Peace officer. Capital Combat Buddy, the return of RoboCop. WCW had a ton of great pay-per-views. Some of my favorites, though, were from ECW. They actually started running their pay-per-views back in 93, so they didn't quite get the same foothold initially that WCW did, but they started off big. They started off with something, and I can't make this name up. It was called the Super Summer Sizzler Spectacular. Wow. Because, <laughs> you know, when you think wrestling, all of those words come into play. <laughs> I mean, they, they, and in true shoestring budget fashion, they held every one of their pay-per-views. They didn't really change the look or the feel to anything. They all kind of had that same dark, gritty, hardcore look about them, which kind of made them that much more special, honestly. But they had some of the best names for pay-per-views that I've ever heard. Barely legal. I believe you mentioned on one of our earlier ones, George. Oh, yeah. Wrestlepalooza. And <laughs> Wrestlepalooza. My Wrestlepalooza. I can't, <laughs> these are awesome. And my personal favorite, November to Dismember. Oh, yeah. Mm. These sound like bad horror movies, you know? <laughs> And they would have some of the most epically just ridiculous over-the-top matches in these pay-per-views that you could imagine. I still remember Sabu and Rob Van Dam going head-to-head against the Dudleys and just beating the ever-loving snot out of one another. Oh, man. I mean, it was crazy. Just the, the list of different events that would go on. And unlike WCW, they didn't really have a lot of themes. You know, WCW was very big about Bash at the Beach, the Great, Great American Bash, Halloween Havoc, those kinds of things. ECW, they gave it a name, but it didn't really have anything to do with what you were seeing in the ring. Well, ECW, it, it had its own theme. I was Extreme just violence. thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> Their theme was utter violence and mayhem. Very true. Very true. And so true. all those titles that you're talking about, Wrestlepalooza, did, November to Dismember, that all fits that overall theme of just kill everybody <laughs> in the room and let the body, let the police sort out the bodies. That's pretty really much, pretty much. And, and, and I have to admit, WCW, one thing we, we neglected to mention on that as far as promoting pay-per-views, there was one gentleman that they always brought in on WCW to do the announcing for their pay-per-views. And we got to talk about Buff Daddy, Michael Buffer. Okay. Because- <laughs> Yeah, where, where WCW had Michael Buffer, ECW had Joey Styles. Nobody. I think ECW got the better part of that trade. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> Michael Buffer to me, I never like. He had the, his one catchphrase. Yep, and got and paid he handsomely had the for deep it. Baritone voice, and he was good. But it's interesting to me. There's a little story, and I'm going to tell this story because you brought it up, and I'm Please. sorry to take over your segment. But Please go ahead. Michael Buffer, as you had mentioned, was doing vocal work for main matches at pay-per-views and at even TV tapings, like for Nitro and stuff. Yeah. And he was brought in to give a air of authenticity and legitimacy to the match, right? Well, because this is a got, big time match. He got started in boxing. That's right, where because he got his, you know, his foothold yeah. there. 
He was super well-known. Now, here's some facts that maybe not everybody is aware of. Michael Buffer's career has been managed by his brother, Bruce Buffer, from the very beginning. Bruce Buffer started off just as the booking agent for his brother, Michael Buffer. Okay. All right. Now, Michael Buffer was slated to do an event for WCW. Mm -hmm. At the same time, an upstart organization wanting to break into the sports world needed an announcer for one of their first events. And so they reached out to Bruce Buffer and said, hey, we would like to book your brother for this event. And Bruce said, well, I'm sorry, I've already got him booked for that day with WCW. And they're like, listen, we we really need an announcer who can do the job well, have a lot of energy. Your brother is the iconic voice of everything sports right now. We really would like him there. He said, well, he's not available, but I tell you what, I'll come do the event. Oh, God. And that event was UFC. This sounds so much like Gallagher. I don't know why. Gallagher did have his brother do stuff for him, and God rest his soul, he just passed away. But no, Bruce Buffer got his gig where now he's super ultra famous, more famous maybe than his brother because of that weird set of circumstances due to professional wrestling. So Bruce Buffer being the announcer of UFC, thank you, WCW. I just, I, it's it's just one of those things because I, when I think of WCW and I think of the voices from it, Michael Buffer is that one. But when I think of ECW, mm-hmm. all the promotions, all the, you know, the commentary, stuff like that, that was Joey Styles. Oh, every and, bit. He's the voice right. of that group. Yeah. No one, no one on the planet says the phrase, oh my God, better than Joey Styles because he sounds like he's being strangled the entire time while he's doing it. Yeah. I wondered oftentimes how strained his vocal cords would get because he didn't say that just once during a pay-per-view. Like it was every match he would come through with a catchphrase in the right moment too. Oh my God. (laughs) That, that just uh, still, and and just watching in those pay-per-views watching and actually even the commercials and the promotions for the Mm -hmm. pay-per-view again, ECW was a shoestring budget. They didn't give money for anything. So, basically what they would do is have a still of whatever the graphic was for that pay-per-view and just have Joey Styles talking over it for about 15, 20 seconds. Sure. Right. But it worked. It sold. I think too, they had to be very careful because like you mentioned, they were on a very limited shoestring budget. Their pay-per-views had to make them money. Yes. Every pay-per-view was a bankruptable event. If that pay-per-view didn't do well, there was no more ECW next week. It was feast or famine for them. That's for certain. And I mean, honestly, there's a lot of reasons why ECW wasn't very successful in what they did. That was one of them. But I do have to give them full props on their pay-per-views. When they put on their shows, they went lights out. It is very difficult to watch an ECW pay-per-view and not fi- and, and find a bad match because right. everybody was just putting every bit of effort into it for that very reason, to make sure that this thing sold. Well, much in the same way that WCW's fate kind of fell, ECW's did as well. Uh, on January 7th of 2001, they held their last pay-per-view event. It was called Guilty as Charged. And again, this was a repeating one for them, but their headliner on this... I, <sighs> And again, this was still such a good match. It was Jerry Lynn versus Rob Van Dam. Yeah, that's a pay-per-view match. Oh my gosh. To watch those two men just go toe-to-toe for, I think it was only like 12 minutes, but it was just, it it was a 
clinic. It was an absolute clinic. And, you know, it's like if you're going to go out, you're going to go out with a bang. 12 minutes, now, but what a 12 minutes it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> Bit of a connotation I don't want well, on this podcast. Yeah, no, hey. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, as you mentioned, ECW, you know, like I said, was was bought out by WWE as well. Now, one thing I think it's important to note on this is that when WWE bought out both ECW and WCW, they also bought the rights to a lot of the pay-per-view names. Almost all of them. Yeah. yeah. There was only a handful of them that they didn't either they didn't get or didn't use. And for a short period after they had bought out those organizations, they continued to run those pay-per-views under the WWE header. Mm-hmm. Now, recently they've changed that up a little bit and switched over with NXT taking over several of them. War Games was one. Halloween Havoc is another one. Those are now NXT pay-per-views. But I kind of like the fact that they're still keeping though the spirit of those pay-per-views alive with the newer talent, the ones that you're not going to see every single week. Well, we've already started it. So why don't we take a break right now? Let the audience (laughs) gather their wits after those crazy (laughs) pay-per-view matches we've talked about and jump into the granddaddy of them all, the WWF pay-per-views when we come back. Wednesday night, live from Las Vegas, two wrestling legends. Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man Randy Savage join forces in an all-out war with Butcher and his partner Kevin Sullivan. Plus, the rage not big enough for both of them. Avalanche meets Day once again with the final showdown. And WCW rivalries heat up with championship belts on the line. Last of the champions. Live 8.05 Eastern Wednesday night on TBS. And as you were saying, Barry, the the WWF or WWE ended up using a lot of the they, they bought the rights for ECW and w, WCW. They were using some of the some of the names, but we got to go where it started at all. The granddaddy of them all, WrestleMania one. <laughs> well, where WWF started. Yeah, I was I'm say, not going to say that started at all. <laughs> where they showed up to the party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And we start with WrestleMania 1 in 1985. It was a response to Starcade. Uh, came a couple years later. Starcade was in 83, but it had a total attendance of about 20,000 people over in Madison Square Garden. Wow. <laughs> nice. Now, if you, if you count the uh, closed circuit television and pay-per-view showings, they reported that over 1 million people watched the event. A million? 1 million. I mean, I, I kind of believe it. So you're talking... A decade after Thrill in Manila. So pay-per-views at this point, Starcade is already a thing. Boxing pay-per-views have been around for a long time. I could see a million people buying it. That's double Thrill in Manila, though. Yeah, but it's I mean, 10 it's years huge. later, and it's also the propaganda machine that's WWF and Vince McMahon. Okay, and it's Madison not, yeah. Square Garden, just like Thrill in Manila. Well, no, Thrill in Manila was in Manila, not Madison Square Garden. But <laughs> <laughs> Hence the name, George. Hence the name. I would have picked up on that. And, and you have to look at the... At the main event, okay, Hulk Hogan and Mr. T versus Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff. And the reason why that's another big part of the element to that story, Barry, mm-hmm. that's also Rocky Three. Yes. Well, it's it's Rocky Three, and if I'm not mistaken, it was right around the time the A Team was starting too, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, slightly, like I think a year later, maybe. But Mr. T was so popular at that yeah, point. He was. Hot. I mean, I pity the fool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but let's not discredit who he was going up against too. I mean. 
mean, you're talking about one of the greatest mouths in the history of wrestling in Roddy Piper. Oh, yeah. You listen to some of the commercials from Roddy Piper when he would just be promoting a local house show, let alone a pay-per-view oh, event. Oh, He was the chaotic. Man, <laughs> yeah, he could, he could talk you into anything, and you wanted to go see him get his ass kicked. That's what a oh, great yeah. heel does. This being a pay-per-view, you didn't have to go anywhere. You could just spend 29 or 49 I don't know how much it cost, Aaron, back then, but you could just spend a finite amount of money and watch it in the comfort of your own home with your friends and your chicken wings or beer or whatever and have a blast. Right. And then we get to WrestleMania 3, which is a couple years later, 87. That's where Hulk Hogan slammed Andre the Giant for the first time. Pontiac Silverdome. Yeah, the first time (laughs) after the 12th time. Yeah, right, right. And it had the largest recorded attendance of an indoor event in North America at 93,173 people. Okay, Mm. I have have a point on this. That's largest recorded. Now the question is, well, who was recording it? (laughs) Well, there's still a lot of dispute on that. You got to remember, this is pro wrestling. Yeah. And so the numbers are inflated a little bit. You know what? You're six foot. You're built at six, three, six, four, that kind of thing. Okay. All right. All right. It's a fair I point. I mean, that's not how attendance work is supposed mm-hmm. to be taken, but. <laughs> okay. It's pro wrestling. They got to work the numbers a little bit. <laughs> I, I think that there were probably in excess of 85,000 people in that venue, yeah. though. Yeah. And anytime you have more than 50,000 people at an event, that's a big event. Oh, yeah. Well, the thing that I most remember from watching that event was the fact that the wrestlers couldn't walk to the ring. Oh, they had to have right, that weird right. little mini ring that would carry them out because if they walked <laughs> to the ring, the damn thing would be over before they got there. <laughs> the time, yeah. And yeah, it's crazy. a couple of That's those right. people, like Andre himself, mm-hmm. he might have had a hard time making that walk before and after that back. Yeah, he'd have got yeah. about halfway there, needed a spotter, to sit down, yeah. have a drink, whatever, you know. <laughs> but we're talking about pay-per-view, so... Aaron, I'm assuming that you know this thing did millions of views. Several million is what the estimate was as far I mean, as the pay-per-views. I watched it on pay-per-view. I don't know about you two, but I distinctly remember watching this one. You know, I absolutely did not watch WrestleMania 3 on pay-per-view. What? I caught it on a VHS tape later. Oh my gosh. And you're running a wrestling podcast? I am running a wrestling oh. podcast because to me, Southern wrestling was the only <laughs> thing that mattered. All right. Fair. <laughs> now, I mean, I did want to watch it, but again, it was one of those that was not carried on my local cable okay. channel. And that's that makes total sense then because I right. mean I again this was one of those ones I had to go to my aunt and uncles and watch it. So it probably also would have been a little bit tougher of a sell to my father because we strictly watched Southern wrestling together gotcha. and getting him to spend 50 bucks or whatever it was on Northern wrestling. I don't think he would have done that at the time. Okay. That's it was fair. a few years before, before I got into it. So mm. <laughs> <laughs> we've established you're late to the party. It's okay. But the, uh, the WWF slash E did establish they, their, their big four pay-per-view events in January. They had the Royal rumble. Okay. They'd have a, a standard standard wrestling card, but it, their main event would be a 30-man over-the-top rope battle royal. Well, no, right. it wasn't always 30. They'd extend uh, it to 40 true. a couple of times, too. This is true for certain storyline reasons, but in around the end of March, beginning of April, kind of uh, kind of varied. They would have WrestleMania, the biggest stage of them all. The- oh, they love to promote their own stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. In the summer, they would have SummerSlam, usually in August, I believe. 
and it usually it used to take place on Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. but they've moved it around Thanksgiving. They had Survivor Series. Oh yeah, Survivor Series was the one where they had two teams wrestle each other in the main event. So I have to ask, since we're talking about these big four, Aaron, what was your favorite of the big four? My favorite, Royal yes. Rumble. I, I would one hundred percent agree. That because is of the, the, most the last fun. match, the royal, the uh, the battle royal, mm-hmm. always always a lot of fun. Because well, there's always surprises to it too, right? You know, you saw people it, coming in that you never would have expected. I think that became a staple of the Royal Rumble was who is going to come out that we don't know is coming out yes. this year, and it was always so much fun with it. Yeah, yeah. somebody's injured and they re- returning from an injury at the Royal Rumble match, that kind of, or thing. or they're getting promoted up, or it's a, a legend right. that's coming in, or something. Yeah. A legend those oftentimes was the one that would usually get me. Like you'd be sitting there and you'd hear the theme music and you'd be like holy crap that's jake roberts they're bringing out and it's like 20 years after he's retired or something but yeah they had some of the biggest debuts that happened i remember when aj styles came out during the royal rumble and the pop that happened and everyone Mm. is staring at one another going oh my god he's actually here (laughs) yeah they use it a lot for talent poaching reveals somebody has moved from one organization to another royal rumble was the place where they would get debuted i specifically remember not at Royal Rumble, but another pay-per-view when they, or maybe it was a Raw. WWE was famous for these poaching moments where they brought in the Radicals, when they brought in... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They brought in Eddie and Chris and Chris and all these people. (laughs) And Perry. Yeah, Perry. That's the one I'll forget, but yeah. (laughs) Over the years... WWE has, they've added additional pay-per-views by various different names. Sometimes they've changed and they average about one a month now. Yeah. I think that's, we're at the point of oversaturation now. I agree with you. I completely agree. I completely agree. To be fair, most of them are viewable on their network or Peacock or whatever they have it on now. But if you, if you be be prepared to spend some big money if you're actually going to order the pay-per-view <laughs> event because they are close to $60, $70 now. That's crazy. Yeah. It's within the market, though, because UFC events are 75 bucks now. Even yeah. if you have the ESPN app service, you still have to pay that price. I don't know. I, I think by having so many pay-per-views throughout the year, though, it's watered down the content so much. They don't carry that same specialness that they yeah. once did. They're not Absolutely. the events that they once were, even the big ones. You know, I, I, there's been multiple times in the past couple of years that I've watched WrestleMania or SummerSlam or something like that and just walked away going, wow, that's three hours of my life. I'm never getting back. I can't remember the last time I paid and watched in real time a wrestling pay-per-view event. A lot of the the WWE pay-per-views that they have now are you know streaming premium events. I think they call them now. They're just like you said, Barry. They're watered down. They're not. They they feel like a an like extended an overly, weekly episode. Yeah, extended weekly episode that's been overproduced. Yeah, that's 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 a good way to put it. That's a great way to put it. It just it, it there's nothing unique about it. And even the 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 little surprises that get thrown in on those don't carry the weight that they once did. I mean, I don't care who shows up at whatever event on this. Nothing is going to carry the way Steamboat Savage did. Right. Nothing is going to oh, carry the way, not. you know, that Greg Valentine and Roddy Piper did. I mean, it's just it it's not going to happen. All right, George, I'm going to I'm going to give you the platform here because you had made mention at the beginning of this and I want to hear what you got to say. How was the pay-per-view the death of the territories? Yeah, so I was thinking about that and I'm glad that you brought that back up. The reason why I think it's the territories dying is a byproduct of the pay-per-view system is mainly around who became the juggernaut of the pay-per-view system. The WWF, the largest part of their revenue stream in Mm -hmm. the mid- 
to late 80s was generated through pay-per-view contracts. They did have their TV shows, but what a lot of people don't understand is that at the time, the WWF was not the major advertiser on those networks, so their contracts were smaller than they became later on. They didn't even stay on the same networks. They started off on USA, they went to TNN, then they came back to USA because nobody really could believe that they had enough of an audience that advertisers wanted to spend money with those networks. Right, right. The pay-per-views, millions upon millions of people spending 50 bucks a pop Mm -hmm. is where they generated all their income. It's also where their influence grew the largest around the country. And every time you have a small WCCW type of territory or a Hawaii pro wrestling type of thing, Aaron, for your stuff, and you have that trying to compete on its local television station with WWF programming, which is funded by the pay-per-views, they can't. They're going to lose out. And it's what generated enough money and enough eyes and took away enough eyes from those other products so that they could eventually start buying them like they did with WCW and ECW and Mid-South and everybody in between all those libraries that got bought up that are now part of the WWE Peacock library format. It was funded by pay-per-view money. So basically you're saying that the WWF is like Walmart yeah, or Starbucks or, <laughs> yeah. you know, they just kind of, and they're the it. same quality. <laughs> We've enjoyed talking about wrestling pay-per-views. We certainly got quite a bit out of this episode, and I hope you did as our fourth listeners. Next episode, we're going to talk about something that I think is near and dear to all three of our hearts, and hopefully to yours as well, listener. We're going to talk about one of the masters of the microphone. We're going to specifically go into the life, career, and history of Jake the Snake Roberts. I have really been looking forward to this one all season. He's one of those rare WWF wrestlers, and I say WWF, Obviously, he was in organizations long before WWF, but that's where he really grew to prominence. He's one of the rare ones that I would watch no matter what else was on. I would skip WCW stuff to go watch a Jake Roberts match. I I wouldn't even necessarily skip to watch the match. I just skip to listen to him talk. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. The promos that that man would cut were just haunting. There's no other word to use. (laughs) He was captivating, no question about it. And I think we're going to have a really good time talking about it. Barry, thank you so much for being here today. I'll see you at SummerSlam, brother. Captain Kiwi, always a pleasure to have you here. Thanks, George. It's great to be here. And fourth listener, it is you we appreciate most of all, and we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Before the days of internet and in YouTube, we was after booing Bobby Heenan and Rick Rude, and Jake would be the break the Our theme song is courtesy of nerdcore hip-hop artist Beefy. Explore his work at beefiness.com. Turnbuckles and Territories is a production of Gen X Grown Up and a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Territories, we be stuck to screens in 1980.